I've said it before and I'll say it again. Facebook now gives off the same vibe as going to the mall. It was a cool place to hang out when you were younger, but now it's a decaying relic of the past where you sporadically go to shop and watch the elderly fight. What the hell is that? Stone on air coming up. Completely unsanctioned by the church. Stone on air. Whatever, let's just do this. Stone on air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Give human beings opportunity and you'll be absolutely shocked with what people do with it. Stone on air coming up. Stone on air. Yeah, Facebook sure does suck. Certainly an old relic in terms of social media. Welcome in, everybody. The first Thursday of May is here. The extended best month of the year, kind of bleeding into May. The weather is, anyway. Will the fun continue? I'd like to think so. This is the Stone On Air Podcast. And after a couple of weeks of uh, the format being a little different, having guests back-to-back weeks was fun to do, but nobody to talk to. There's nobody on the phone. There's nobody to chit-chat with, so you'll just have to listen to me and a long-winded monologue, which is generally what this podcast is each and every week. Every Thursday, your somewhat midweek download destination for thousands in the city of Chattanooga. My name is Brian Stone. Hello, how are you? I am doing quite well. Uh, let's see. Plenty to technically to get to here today. I um, I had uh, several different directions I wanted to go, but because of how really busy I've been the last two weeks of trying to go to local events and then the Atlanta event down in Decatur, which I'll touch on just in just a moment. Uh, not much. There's not really a heck of a lot to say about it other than it was fun. I haven't really had a lot of time to sit down and dissect any really good topics to kind of stretch out on. So um, what I'm going to do today in the final segment of the show, I'm going to go back to stories maybe I shouldn't tell. And this is actually a story that I very much maybe shouldn't tell as I'm going back into the world of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and my most recent experience with a meeting and where I am on all of that, which, depending on who you ask, is not something I should discuss in any capacity outside of a meeting itself. I'm going to do it anyway, hence the name, stories, maybe I shouldn't tell, and I do have one left, or at least one more for now, of a story written in real time while I was in treatment back in March. I think there's actually one more laying around. I'm not sure if I'm going to get around doing it or not, but that'll be the third segment of the show. In the second segment of the show, I was complaining recently about my algorithms not working well for me through uh, TikTok primarily, but uh, the other social medias as well, and I didn't hardly have any audio to play with and have fun with and then all of a sudden I stumbled on a whole bunch of them so in the second segment of the show it's going to be a I scroll endlessly through TikTok so you don't have to and my commentary on 10 pieces of audio that I have pulled over the last day or two or so and so there you go that's the back end here on the front end a few different things to get to yes the Amplify Decatur event in Decatur, Georgia, right outside. It's Atlanta. It's downtown Atlanta. You just hang a right, right when you pass Georgia Tech and right when you pass the Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the Falcons Stadium exit, you go right and then, you know, down, uh, I believe that's Freedom Parkway. And then you're there once you hit Ponce de Leon, take that a couple more miles and boom, historic downtown Decatur. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. It was put on by uh, friends of mine and um, a well, he's my ex step brother, I guess is what you'd call him. He's one of my best friends, whatever you want to call him. It's his company, Lens Marketing, putting it on and uh, got stage passes, so we were right there on the side. It's a small event. It's no big deal. It's not like we were, 
you know, do anything important, but it was uh, a nice time. And then the grand opening of The Signal just this past Tuesday, which as I record this would have been 24 hours ago, right this exact moment. So two days ago, if you're listening to this, like you always do on the day that it is available every Thursday. And I've got to say, it was a very, very impressive night. Overall, anecdotally, it was fun. That doesn't necessarily mean anything to you, but for me, it was good. But just to give an overall just overview, the the room is nice. The room sounds good. It looks good. It is very similar layout to the old signal, if you're familiar with it. If you'll remember, in the back of the old signal, there is a... Um, there was like a mezzanine, like a balcony in the back. A lot of times that was reserved for some kind of VIP or some kind of special access exclusiveness kind of thing. I didn't go to that venue a whole lot, so I'm not sure on uh, how many days it was open to the public. But this place has a U-shaped all the way around upstairs mezzanine balcony with quite a bit of seating. And good sight lines. I couldn't quite tell if you were a little bit further back whether it was going to be elevated enough to be able to see down very well. Couldn't quite tell that. But um, it looked good, at least on first impression. Nick Letzko and the $100,000 band played his record Swords in its entirety, just like they said they would. It started at 8. It ended at 9. The early walkthrough, meet and greet, kind of schmoozing early portion was nice. Talked to several people I haven't seen in a while. Overall, it was a lot of fun. And I really do think that that, um, that venue is going to do really well. There is nothing on their calendar that sticks out to me as anything that I need to do. Umphreys McGee would be the only one, and I'm not going to do that one likely. Uh, I think it's in the middle of the week. Even if it's not, I'm probably still not going to do it. Uh, they have an additional ballroom. It's an additional event space that was open uh, for this night for people to see it, it for weddings and things like that. That was a very nice, uh, nicely done area. It'll be closed when it's a regular show night. So overall, it's nice to have that uh, over there by the choo-choo. I think that's going to be a, a very big success, or at least I hope it will be. But it definitely feels good, it definitely looks good, and it definitely sounds good. And uh, I guess those are three, probably the three most important things when it comes to a music venue. Since I have all the audio for the second segment of the, of the show, I am not going to play any audio in this open. I am going to bring back uh, the Stone's Throw segment at the tail end to complain about something that I probably shouldn't. I might irritate friends of mine, as I know many people that are in the business, in the industry of home selling, the realtor industry, and I've just got to complain just a little bit about that. And so that'll be coming up here in about, I don't know, six, seven, eight minutes or so from right now. Speaking of uh, live local shows here in new venues and cool venues, I was going through my uh, garage, still kind of a long-term project of just digging through old stuff. I don't ever throw anything away. I'm not quite a hoarder, but I'm close. And I found a bunch of ticket stubs from Track 29. They opened in 2011, if I remember right. I think it was late 2011, and I was able to swindle my way into being the point man for the ticket distribution from the beer distributorship that I worked for then and still do now as we were exclusive there for the first couple of years that Track 29 was open. So we got free tickets to every show. And I don't remember how I did it, but somehow it turned into where I was the guy who distributed the tickets to either customers or co-workers, or friends, or whatever. At first, it was kind of, you know, they kept a close eye on it, just like anything, a new venture, a new sponsorship, a new partnership, was paid attention to quite closely. And then after a while, not so much. And I had free reign over tickets to shows. 
and I was in my early 30s. And as I always say, I lived like I was 22. I lived my life like I was 22 until I was 32. And then I kind of lived my life like I was 32 until I was about 40. So it didn't really change all that much. I figured I'd just run off uh, the handful of these ticket stubs I ran into. The infamous infamous string dusters in March of 13. Ryan Bingham in also March of 13. Zappa plays Zappa January of 2013. The Wallflowers in May of 13. They Might Be Giants was a fantastic show. February of 2012. The Drive-By Truckers in June of 13. The Black Crows in May of 13. I did, uh, I mean, I was at this place all the time in 2013, clearly. In 2012, in May, was J.J. Gray and Mofro. Blackberry Smoke in November of 2012. Leftover Salmon, April 2013. Social Distortion, November of 2012. And then the final one here, the big one everybody uh, was really freaking out about at the time. Sold out in seconds. Jack White, Saturday, March 10th. 2012 was a night to remember of live music here in the city of Chattanooga. And while I love having the signal where it is, there'll always be a special place in my heart for track 29, even though it wasn't the nearly the best music venue. Not even it's not even on a list of best music venues. It really wasn't. They kind of took something that didn't really belong being a music venue and did the best they could. Got lots of investors, lots of money, and lots of really nice equipment and did their damn best to make a great music experience, a world-class music experience, as they used to bill it. And they did a, uh, a very nice job with what they had to work with. So I figured I would just throw that out there real quick. A few other things here. I will be recording the Brit Pop and Beyond show with Ryan Oyer, local uh, musician and overall music head here in town and a big fan of all things British music from the 60s invasion and the uh, 90s uh, explosion there for a little bit as well. I'm more of a big British music fan from the 90s, which the playlist that I have selected is primarily music from the 1990s. And this is something we record in advance and then it gets plugged in at WUTC 88.1 on Mondays. So I'm not exactly sure what day it will air, but when I know the first place that I will be talking about it will be on this podcast. Let's see, another mass shooting in Texas, but hey, Governor Abbott, they were foreigners, right? They were immigrants. They were illegal immigrants? Yeah. Well, you know, then it ain't that big a deal, you know? What are you going to do, right? Uh, the Hollywood strike has officially begun. My cousin works in Hollywood, or at least did for years. I'm not sure if she's on a show right now or not. She worked for Mad About You back in the 90s. Uh, why am I blanking? Oh, yeah, Gilmore Girls is where her biggest hit was. Um, two or three, four other shows you've heard of that are escaping me right now. If this thing goes on for any length of time, I will see if she would like to join me to talk about that. The last time there was a writer's strike was 15 years ago, 16 years ago, whatever that exact math was, back in 2007. And she joined me on the radio at uh, Fraud Radio, uh, Talk Radio 102.3, and we talked about it at length. And at that time, the strike was over the, um, the streaming that was about to become a thing, like the... Uh, the cables running through and giving everybody television was still primarily how everybody got TV, just traditional cable. Well, it wasn't going to be long after that that things were going to start streaming. Smarter people than the average one of us walking around knew this, and they got a lot of hell over this. They got a lot of flack about it, saying they wanted more money. There was, well, the, the, the model, the contract was for shows that are aired on network and cable television. It wasn't for internet and streaming. And they they knew this, and they went on strike, and they got what they wanted. Well, clearly, 15 years later, the game has changed quite a bit. A shutdown has been widely forecast for months. The writers last month voted overwhelmingly to strike, 98% of membership in support. 
Uh, they say their pay isn't keeping pace with inflation. TV writer rooms have shrunk too much, and the old calculus for how re- uh, residuals are paid out need to be redrawn. The Guild is also seeking more compensation for writers up front. That's because many of the payments writers had historically profited from were on the back end, like syndication and international licensing. But since uh, the onset of streaming, that has largely been phased out. The Guild has said more flexibility for writers is needed where they're contracted for series that have tended to be shorter-lived than once standard 20-plus episode broadcast seasons. Many studios and production companies are slashing spending. Disney eliminated 7,000 jobs. Warner Brothers Discovery are cutting costs to lessen debt. Netflix also is uh, pumping brakes and uh, cutting back on spending and growth as well, as this is another one of those. Be careful what you wish for if you want a la carte TV, as they say, and then now it turns around it looks like we're going right back to the cable bundle models. But... um, so if you love new TV shows, if this thing doesn't get taken care of quickly, which it likely won't, there won't be new TV shows in to next year. Uh, the Station Street thing is not a lot new there, not much new at all, really. Um, there, uh, This is from an editorial in the paper in the last week or so. Just ta- I'm not going to read it or anything, just going to give you some of the numbers here. This goes back to last year from May to July 22. Chattanooga Police reported 238, 228 calls for service to Station Street. Most of those being things like burglar alarms, suspicious people, a uh, motor, motor vehicle collision, suspicious activity or disorder. And over the same period, according to the city data, 38 arrests were made, including five related to disorderly conduct three for public intoxication, and two for driving under the influence. Last weekend, which would have been uh, almost two weeks ago now, the CPD handled 17 calls for service in the area and made three arrests. So that's where that stands. There was a uh, fake shooting situation at Brainerd High School on Wednesday. It said uh, CPD is actively responding to a call of an active shooter at Brainerd High School. The update 36 minutes later was no shooter uh, is confirmed. Students are secure. And then later it says this seems to be a hoax known as swatting is what it's called when you have a fake shooter call. It's, It's the old bomb threat. It's what we used to do in the 90s. Not me, myself, but people would call in bomb threats. Now it's more trendy to call in active shooter threats. And I had the uh, budget proposal from the city and, and Tim Kelly to the city council. It's 52 pages long. I have a couple here. I'm not even going to do that. We'll save that for another time. Let's quickly slide in Stone's Throw. Heads up. It's Stone's Throw. Wait, what? Oh, whoa. Back up the truck. Beep, beep. What are you talking about? Is technology making us mentally ill? Look at me. I'm stupid. I can't do math. This is not making sense to the young adult anymore, and they're tired of it. Does that satisfy you? Are you satisfied now? And I don't want to upset people, and I'm going to be eventually looking for sponsorship money for a variety of things that I'm trying to do into the future. But realtors, man, they're driving me crazy. I have a lot of friends that have gotten into this industry, and, you know, several years ago, it was a place to make a ton of money. Right now, I guess it still is. Um, with the interest rates where they're at, I don't know why anybody would be want, wanting to purchase a home right now. But the way people word this stuff on social media is just laughable to me. First of all, this is something I pulled up uh, from uh, the collegeinvestor.com. What do real estate agents really do anymore? And it goes through this whole list, and it gives you about eight, nine, ten things what real estate agents are supposed to do. And I'm not going to read them all off to you and bore you. If you want to look, you can look at yourself. But it goes through a different bunch of reasons as to why these things they don't actually do anymore. The internet has eliminated most private information. Do you even need a real estate agent to view a home anymore? The answer to that is no. Um, but they do they help with financing? They can, but typically they don't have to. 
Um, and it just keeps going on through all this list. And the, and the list of stuff that buyer agents are at least were once upon a time known as supposed to do and what seller agents were supposed to do, things like provide you with information detailing current market conditions, guide you through the home purchase process. I'm just skimming through. Provide up-to-date information on market. Uh, to provide security for your home when it's being shown to strangers. Negotiate the best price for you. Blah, 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 blah. This list has every single one of these has a line through it other than about two or three of them, meaning all the things that real estate agents were supposed to be doing or the, the industry standards were are long gone, yet they're still pulling huge commissions on the sales of these houses because people, for some reason, think buying a house is a really difficult process when it's really actually not. It's just like finances and anything else that everybody acts like is so difficult. It's really not that hard. And when I see people on social media, the way they gloat about their sales, it's laughable. And everything is all about the clients, right? So here's just a handful I just printed off real quick. And I got to hurry here as I'm late here in the open. Humbled and thankful for having amazing clients. We had a blast closing on this breathtaking turnkey resort in Swanee, Tennessee. Grateful to help clients achieve their goals. Every client's circumstance is different for the need or want to buy or sell. It is a privilege to help every single person and wonderful to be involved in their own unique circumstance during this portion of their lives. I could not be happier for this sweet family. Today, we are. it is such an honor to be a part of. Congratulations on your engagement and your new home. I'll always remember this moment and look back on it fondly. My heart grew a few sizes today for sure. Gilda and her family got the keys to their very first home today. They have worked for this so hard and deserve to reap all the benefits. No matter the obstacle, the family gives nothing but love and positivity to the world. I'm so honored to have seen my clients through this experience. Oh, <laughs> Enough. Enough. You sold a house, you made a huge commission, and you didn't really do all that much. Um, this would be like me, like me saying, I'm so happy for the people that drank all that beer over the holiday weekend. My clients are such wonderful people drinking 12 packs of Miller Lite and White Claw and High Noons. I am so proud to have helped facilitate my clients. Stop. In, in no other industry does anybody talk like this. And I get it. It's a persona. It's a brand. You're trying to create a, um, uh, well, to me, it's it's fake. It's not, you know, that's not really you. But, um, hey, if it works, it works, I guess. And um, But at 7% almost interest, why the hell would anybody be buying a house right now? The market will cool off. It has to. Anyway, there you go. Put the wraps on that right now. Coming up next, I endlessly scroll TikTok so you don't have to. And a few words on the now late Gordon Lightfoot, who passed away just a couple of days ago. This is the Stone on Air podcast. Now back to more Stone on Air. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Stone on Air. I saw Marjorie Taylor Greene this week saying we should divide the country between red states and blue states and separate the country. It's like, what kind of foolishness is that? Yeah. We fought a war over that. Abraham Lincoln was the founder of our party. Why would a Republican ever say something as silly as that? But, you know, it's to appeal to a base and to create anger. And when that's the intent... You're not going to solve the big challenges we have, and we have a number of challenges, China being one of them, the debt being one of them, immigration being one of them. We need people to work together to see if we can't take on those problems. It's too bad that Mitt Romney can't get any support to run for president. He'd be a, he'd be a fine president. He really would. I can't imagine I would have said that 10 years ago when he had a chance, but a hell of a lot can change in 10 years. I forgot about how many songs Gordon Lightfoot had that I uh, not only was familiar with, but actually really, really liked. 
Passed away on, I believe it was Monday. Yeah, the first. He was 84 years old, so he lived a long and fulfilled and very meaningful life. From his Wikipedia, Lightfoot's biographer said his name is synonymous with timeless songs about trains and shipwrecks, rivers and highways, lovers and loneliness. Robbie Robertson of the band described Lightfoot as a national treasure. Bob Dylan called him one of his favorite songwriters and said, I can't think of any Gordon Lightfoot song I don't like. Every time I hear a song of his, it's like I wish it would last forever. Lightfoot became a mentor for a long time, and I think he probably still is to this day. Also wrote many songs written by or performed by many, many other Musicians and bands and performers, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Elvis Presley, Bob Dylan himself, the Clancy Brothers, Marty Robbins, and Richie Havens, just to name a few that I am familiar with. Plenty other names there that I'm not quite as familiar with. This is from SavingCountryMusic.com, I believe. Uh, Let's see. Yeah, that's correct. It would only take a small penthouse to accommodate the amount of music artists who, if you disappear their legacies in their entirety, it would irreparable and forever change the very fabric of music as we know it today. In a world teeming with interpreters, reenactors, imitators, and outright frauds, only a few select songsmiths truly touched music in foundational man- manners integral to audio expression and irrespective of genre. Start and end that list with whomever you wish, but damn well make sure you include Gordon Lightfoot within that small and exclusive company. No matter who you were or where you were from, Gordon Lightfoot told your story. And he did it in a way that pulsated with the magic and mystery in life that only life itself could match in emotion, memory, and ferocity. And literally, as I was reading that and uh, opening this segment, popping up on my updates, I guess it was from this morning, I just missed it, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class of 2023 has been announced. Kate Bush, Sheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, George Michael... Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machine, and The Spinners. Overall, I think I'm pretty good with this. I'd like to, if I had known in advance that this was coming today, I would have done a retrospect back to when I made my, not my predictions, but what I felt like after the the nominees were announced, who should or shouldn't be in. I can't remember what I said now. But I believe Sheryl Crow makes close to sense. Kate Bush does. Missy Elliott, I'm on the fence. George Michael, I guess. Willie Nelson, for sure. And damn it, yes, Rage Against the Machine deserves Hall of to, uh, Hall of Fame status, no doubt. And uh, the Spinners, sorry, I don't know who the hell the Spinners are. I mean, I've heard their, I know their name, and if you play their song, I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, that song from those guys, of course. Now I know who you're talking about. And as we speak here, I am looking on my phone because I'd like to know, is Gordon Lightfoot in the Hall of Fame? I do not know, and I don't even know what my guess would be. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Is he in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I shouldn't be doing this while I'm doing the show. I should just stop. Let's see. And he is not in the Hall of Fame. It does not look like. And no, he has never appeared on a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ballot. He's not even been nominated. So uh, there's the answer to that question. He's probably in the Country Music Hall of Fame and others, but not the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So there we go. We're caught up on all of that. So let's jump into the world of TikTok, my favorite social media, as anybody who listens to this regularly already knows and let's play some audio and my commentary and just have a little bit of fun here for the next 
10, uh, 12, 13 minutes or so. Let's see. We'll start with the first one here. This is a group. Um, it's like they're set up at a news desk. Uh, it, they're called the Young Turks. Not sure what that mo- that name means. Very liberal, uh, more liberal than me, generally speaking, a lot of the time. And um, seriously, we're going to do this all over again. Biden and Trump. Well, that's that does appear to be the case. This is today's first audio piece from TikTok. Number one reason I'm worried about Biden is because I think he's going to lose, right? And But whenever you say it on TV or in uh, the press at all, the swarm of locusts of DNC consultants attack. And they're like, hey, Biden's the only one who could win. You guys, you're, you're playing with fire. You're playing with all of our lives. You're playing with democracy. He won at 36%. Uh, last time around. He could easily be a 36% and win this time around. You guys almost blew it the last time. You definitely blew it the time before. It's the same clowns. And now we're going to have two guys that are above 76 years old. They're both going to be hiding in their basements, right? Neither one is going to debate. This is the worst election ever. No one wants either one of the candidates. Our democracy is in shambles. Yep. And they forced the two, literally, the two most unpopular politicians in the country as our only two choices. Yeah, we It's thought, disgusting. Yeah, we thought that Hillary v. Trump was bad. This is going to be really bad. And things are just getting started. And just like always, you ain't seen nothing yet. This is a guy going through a bunch of clips of newspaper articles over the course of time and just showing you that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because, I mean, like, seriously, right? Nobody wants to work anymore. Like, what happened to this country? Nobody wants to work anymore. A brief history of nobody wants to work anymore. A thread. 2022. Nobody wants to work. 2014. What has happened to the work ethic in America? 2006. It almost seems like nobody wants to work anymore. 1999. 1981. 1979. Nobody wants to work anymore. Disgruntled businessman. 1969. Nobody wants to work anymore. 1952. 1940. Nobody wants to work anymore. 1937. Nobody wants to work anymore. 1922. 1916. 1905, 1894. Nobody wants to work anymore. I mean, really, who really wants to work, first of all? I mean, many of us do. I like to work, especially when I get work that I enjoy. But who really does want to work to begin with? And there are plenty of countries that prove that not having work to your, you know, to the bone, dog eat dog, pure capitalism, you know, devouring. Uh, economic system works just fine. Now, I'm not saying that's what we should do here in America. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying nobody wants to work anymore. I'm not sure anybody ever really wanted to work all that much to begin with. I don't like putting Joe Rogan on this show very often because I don't really like his show all that much, and I don't like a lot of the things he has to say, but he nails it here, and it comes kind of from the same vein of what we're already talking about. I think education should be free. I think we should figure out a way. If we could pay for bombs, we could pay for schools. This, the, I think th- this idea that everybody should have health care, it's a great idea. Who the fuck wants people to not be healthy? Who wants people to be hurt and not be able to fix it? Who wants? Do, do, are you really saying that struggling people should have to pay exorbitant amounts of money to get fixed when we could maybe chip in and help members of our right. team? That's stupid. Fill it up. Figure it out yourself. I had to. You got lucky, bitch. You got lucky you don't have leukemia. You didn't break both your legs when you were 18. Your parents are dead. Right. You got lucky, piece of shit. You, yeah. you, these are people on our team. Right. I'm not talking about people who are lazy, good for nothing, losers, mooching off the system. You're going to have that, too. Well, we got to figure out how to educate people so that that happens less and less. Health care for profit is wrong. Everybody should have access to health care. It should be a basic human right in the United States of America. I will not apologize for having that opinion. This is Dr. Jordan Peterson. You've heard him on this show before since my transformation into no longer imbibing in alcoholic uh, beverages. And he was being asked, uh, the question was, why do people drink too much? If you like alcohol, that's a stupid question. Yeah. Right. It's like, why do people drink too much? Well, because it's great. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, so why stop? Well, you do stupid things when you're drunk. 
You hurt yourself. You, you compromise your health. It's really hard on the people around you. You tend to turn into a liar and it screws up your life. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but it's pretty fun. Yeah, well, it is. But you need something better than that. And what's better isn't being straight and, 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 and not making mistakes. It's like that's all prohibition in some sense. What's mm-hmm. better is, no, you need an adventure, man. You need to get out there and have something to do yeah. and, and something worth waking up for. And you need that's the substitute for the addiction. I think his point when he said uh, it's not just being straight, meaning it's not just the, the, the goal here, the win per se, is not just not drinking. It's way more nuanced and complicated than that. And he's absolutely right. You need something to occupy your time. I am, um, I'm doing okay with that so far, but it also helps that it's the best time of year and there's things going on that I enjoy. And it's a time of life when I'm just genuinely happier than I am at other times uh, of the year. And so I definitely still struggle with that. You need something to occupy your time. You need pastimes. You need hobbies. And we all need those things, whether you're trying to get over addiction or not. And um, he says some kooky things occasionally, but overall, I like where uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson comes from on this subject a lot of the time. This is uh, Newsmax, which is just a Fox News wannabe offshoot somewhere. I guess it's on uh, some cable packages. I'm not entirely sure. Uh, But they are asking Megyn Kelly about the fallout of Tucker Carlson's termination from Fox News. Where is it? There it is. Do you believe the network's going to take a a long-term hit here? I mean, look, a lot of people said Fox News would suffer enormously after your departure, after Bill O'Reilly's departure. Um, Will people, do you think, go with Tucker if he goes somewhere else? And will Fox take a hit? They'll go with Tucker for sure. Tucker's going to have more success, more money, and more influence uh, in an independent lane. I mean, you know, look at Joe Rogan. He's Joe Rogan's audience dwarfs anything that's on cable news right now. And Tucker could rival him. So I think, and he'll make more money uh, in the independent lane too. It'll all go in his pocket as opposed to in Rupert's. So I think Tucker will be great and he'll be fine. And he'll still be extremely influential. Look at Ben Shapiro, you know, I mean. Well, look at Megyn Kelly. Um, Well, thank you. But uh, my point is you can still have influence, but Fox is going to take a hit tonight and this week and short term for sure. It's audience is very, very angry. I will say the past, the names you just mentioned, and the, the, those departures prove there's a huge audience out there that's loyal to Fox. Shocked should be nobody. Tucker Carlson is going to be just fine. There are so many avenues of content distribution, especially with somebody as uh, popular, I guess is the word I'll use, as that pipsqueak is. Uh, he'll be just fine. But at the last comment she made is the loyalty to Fox News It is such a strange place that we have gotten in the last 10, 15 years. And it didn't seem as strange five, six, seven, eight years ago, but I guess maybe it wasn't. I just didn't realize it. This loyalty to cable news programming, it's so perplexing to me. I don't get it. It is pure garbage. It's absolute dreck. And I don't know why anybody uh, subjects themselves to it. And as I've said in past episodes, if if somebody does, if I know of somebody who who consumes this kind of uh, nonsense on a regular basis, I can't trust you because the information that you are uh, that you are consuming and then oftentimes regurgitating can't be trusted. So therefore, neither can that person. This is Dwight from the office. His name is it's spelled Rain with an extra N. Does that mean his name's Ran Ran Rain Wilson? Ran Wilson, whatever his name is. Uh, I thought this was pretty good. Twenties are a waste of time. Like, don't even worry about. It. Don't try and get yeah. it figured out. The point of your twenties is to try twelve different mm-hmm. things and fail at nine of them. Mm-hmm. In society right now, you talk to so many college kids and they're so depressed at twenty twenty one because they don't. They haven't gotten the perfect internship over the summer and they're not Mm -hmm. pre-enrolled in the perfect grad program. Mm -hmm. If you view the 20s as a workshop stage, then it gives you some, you can relax a little bit. If we could all just have the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience, the life uh, lessons that we've gotten into our 30s and certainly into our 40s, if we could have had that in our 20s, can you imagine how successful and how happy and fulfilled we all would be? There is no patience in your 20s. I, I struggled with it 
terribly the entire decade. Why can't I get heard? Why can't I get listened to? Why can't I be taken more seriously? It's because you're a dumbass kid, dude. That's why. It's because you're an inexperienced moron, and you don't know anything, and you need... Give it some time, all right? Slow burn this thing. And at 25 years old, that is impossible to hear and believe. Why do we all, I believe this is, we were all do this. Why do we all listen to and romanticize the same music most of our lives? Did you know there's a psychological reason that old people seem to keep listening to the same music that they listened to when they were young? It's day 50. That's because between the ages of 12 and 22, your brain assigns a heightened sense of importance to everything you do. That's why your high school memory seems so special, even though it was just a bonfire. It does it with music too. Whatever you're listening to between the ages of 12 and 22 will be assigned a heightened sense of importance. As you get older, you'll lose that ability. So the music that you listened to when you were younger has an emotional attachment in your brain. And it just can't seem to do that for new music. So you might like new music, but you'll always love what you listen to between the ages of 12 and 22. I am completely guilty of that, as I believe generally we all are. This is Fearmonger Glenn Beck. And I'll do more on this potentially next week, as I had already started on, but maybe doing it this week. But this is him um, fearmongering on the collapse of the dollar. You think is coming is a recession. What your crazy friends might say to you is coming is maybe a depression. You'd be mistaken. Those are lies. What is coming is a collapse of the dollar. You haven't had one of those. We've never experienced the collapse of the dollar of the world's reserve currency. This will make us Venezuela. Make no mistake. If you want to be prepared, prepare yourself like people should have prepared in Venezuela. Soon, I don't know when, but it will happen overnight. Soon, everything will be collapsing and the banks will close he, and there will be chaos. He might not be wrong, but then again, he might be as people have been uh, threatening and bewaring of the collapse of all banks, all institutions, all money, all dollar, U.S. dollars for as long as I can remember, probably since as long as I have been alive. And the final one here I'll play for you is Ronald Reagan. Yes, every Republican's favorite president, Ronald Reagan in 1989 on what everybody loves to talk about these days, guns. California has a system, unlike that of many other states, in which when you're going to buy a gun, you put down your money and you buy the gun, but you don't get to pick up the gun uh, for several days because investigation is then made to make sure that you're not a felon, that you don't have a record of bad conduct or that you are mental illness or anything, and then you can come back and get your gun. And I do not believe in taking away the right of the citizen to own guns for sporting, for hunting and so forth, or for home defense. But I do believe that an AK-47, a machine gun, is not a sporting weapon. No, it's not. And there you go, right from the mouths of the Messiah himself, Ronald Reagan. And if we do have a financial complete cr uh, crisis, meltdown, dollar-destroying, uh, cataclysmic destruction of America, you can trace that back to the economic policies of the 1980s and the boom of borrowing and financing and credit cards ever since the year I was born is where you can trace this back to. And so ask anybody under the age of 45 why they love Ronald Reagan and they can't give you a good answer. Same way as if you ask anybody under the age of 45 why they say Jimmy Carter is the worst president, they can't give you a good answer either. All those people have just been told their whole life, Ronald Reagan great, Jimmy Carter bad, and then they regurgitate. Seems to be a recurring theme in cultural societal norms over generations here in the United States of America. Coming up next, a story that I actually probably shouldn't tell 
about a uh, trip to an AA meeting and a, another actual story that I wrote that act, talks about that same kind of thing in real time back in early March. That's coming up next on the Stone On Air podcast. Sometimes I think it's a shame when I get feeling better when I'm feeling no pain. Sundown, you better take care if I find you've been creeping around my backstairs. Stone On Air will be right back. AA seems like it's been very helpful for your death. A lot of people say it's not helpful for them. Do you have a sense of like who it really helps and who not so much? And I find that some people struggle with the spiritual aspect of it. Some people think it's a religious program and it actually isn't. It's you not. Yeah, it's right. You can define your own higher power. It's, and I think a lot of people are turned off because they imagine that it's a religious thing. Um, my problem with AA is it has nothing to do with the brain. Last year I published a book called Your Brain is Always Listening. Right. And I wrote a new 12-step program right. where I basically kept most of the steps. Sure. But for me, step number one, which is basically my life is out of control, yeah. I went, no, 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 that's step two. Right. Step one is you have to define what you want. What do you want? Right. And your relationships, your work, your money, your physical, emotional, spiritual, what do you want? Sure. And then step two becomes really easy. It's right. like, is my life getting me what I want? Another great one from Lightfoot, Carefree Highway. Sorry about that bad audio. I thought that was a little overmodulated. It was a... Um, therapist talking to just somebody else who had been going through AA and what he said that what the therapist said he didn't like about AA was that it had nothing to do with the brain now much of the treatment has a lot to do with the brain but that's not what they were talking about they were talking about uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous and he kind of reworked the 12 steps, going back to when I talked about how this does seem to be a very um, arbitration kind of uh, dealt with situation. Arbitrary numbers, arbitrary decisions. It's very, very, very annoying. Uh, but that's a, uh, that's a great first question. It's you got to ask yourself, what do you want out of this? Like, why, why are you doing this? And now being almost two months... I guess it'll be, uh, it's a little shy of two months since I completed the program. It's one of my favorite subjects and topics to to have with with people because I know so many people who um, drink and have, have addictions. We all have addictions to something. I mean, every single one of us are addicted to something. And so it's a, it's a conversation that you can have with virtually anybody because if if someone were like well i don't have any addictions well you have a cell phone right okay well you're addicted to that so the um the nature of addiction is the same in so many different ways depending on what it is but they're very similar in how you handle trying to uh, manage it or to outright eliminate it and you really do have to ask yourself the question you have to know why you're there you have to know why you're doing what you're doing. I just had a conversation with somebody today who will remain nameless and the subject matter will also remain nameless, but it did involve need feeling the need to go to meetings and would I want somebody to go with in a support kind of way, kind of like one of those, I can help you, you can help me kind of things, um, knowing that I don't love the program, but the, the dude I was talking to thought that I was regularly going and I'm not regularly going. And he had different reasons for wanting to do it himself. And I kind of, without saying this exact same thing, I did, I did uh, in a roundabout way, said, well, what is your purpose for it? What do you want to get out of it? Because if you don't know, you won't get anything. And while you might not waste your time completely, you very well could waste your time uh, completely. It just depends. So what happened was, the other week, and, I, and I'll read a story I wrote as a story I promise not, to, or I, I maybe shouldn't tell. And this is a story just from the other week that I probably definitely shouldn't tell. 
at the last AA meeting I went to. And it was at the facility that I'm uh, that I went to, and I enjoy going there because I know some people there, and I've gone on and on about this. And I I had a a plan to speak out loud about this, but something came up that triggered it even more so. And um, it was early on in the meeting, and I said, and I'll paraphrase this completely. I I said that listen, I have decided that I am not getting a sponsor because I don't want to waste anybody's time. I'm not going to follow the 12 steps or traditions and I'm not going to be in it with my 100% effort. And if I'm not going to do that, then getting a sponsor would be irresponsible to both myself, the program, the sponsor, and really anybody in this room who's trying to get better. Like I'm taking away from time someone else could be using this because I don't doubt the effectiveness of this, what I believe to be a cult-like organization. I don't doubt the effectiveness if it's what you want. It's just not for me. And I've made that decision slowly over the course of the last six and a half, seven weeks. And I have now completely books closed, signed with ink, period, done, you know, signed sincerely, Brian, I'm not doing this. And but I follow, I, I said it very politely and matter of factly, and I, I followed that up with because I'm living a life right now that I'm enjoying. I enjoy getting good night's sleep. I like waking up every day. I enjoy looking forward to what the weekend and the days bring me and the conversations with people that I'm that I'm likely going to have. And living sober, living without ingesting alcohol. I am taking pride in, and this is a success story. This is not me trying to tell you, the generalized you, the the royal we, right? I'm not trying to generalize here and say what I'm doing is what everybody else here should do. This is a a success story that I think should be said out loud. Thanks for listening, blah, blah, blah. Well, that did not go over all that well. And for the next 30 minutes or so, this meeting was completely hijacked by my commentary. Now, these are not supposed to be uh, bounced off of kind of, uh, first of all, they're not conversations. They're just statements. And there's not supposed to be any dialogue. I didn't make up the rules, okay? All the people in this room and other people long before me and long gone and for since 1930-whatever-it-was, 1936, I believe, the year that this program was, was invented, made up these rules. I'm just trying to follow them, all right? The next three to five people, three, four at least, all had commentary that was, I I'll call it indirectly, but it was pretty close to directly in reference to what I said. And it was basically saying what I just said was foolish. I wasn't mad. I internally rolled my eyes a little. Of course, I do that at every meeting. I sat back and listened. And many of the people who would the next go next and the next and the next were very much speaking to me. Often, many of them in the room were looking directly at me and making eye contact. Not, with, you know, they're not staring a hole through me. They're not, it's not malicious. They're not being, um, what's the right word? They're not being mean. Uh, I can't think of a better word. They're not, they're not being um, derogatory, but they are very much speaking in response to what I said. And this went on and on and on. And it really did make me feel like everybody in the room was saying, that guy over there is a damn fool. I don't care about that. For me personally, means nothing. But it does, to me, expose this room for being a little bit fraudulent. In a place that they scream up and down all day long, over and over again, can't stop, ad nauseum, will not stop talking about, this is not a, there's no judgments here, judgment-free zone, you can come in here, come as you are, uh, be, you know, be yourself, 
in a place that just says that so much to the point where I, you know, I, I think I said it a few weeks ago. What am I, a 17 year old girl? You think I care if you're judging me? What? Excuse me? But if you're going to say that, and you're going to spend all this time talking about how you're a judgment-free zone, yet the next 30 minutes of a meeting is basically longtime members of this club shunning me to a certain degree and basically saying that that dude over there is um, a damn fool and you shouldn't listen to what he says. And now, again, none of those words were said, but I, I'm a behavioral scientist as a hobby, all right? It wasn't hard to figure out what these people were talking about. And um, that was my 59th day sober. And I told them, I said, hey, I'm 59 uh, days today. And often if someone says that out loud, that people start clapping. And I said, no, no need for any kind of um, reaction, applause, nothing. I'm 59 days sober today. I'm 60 tomorrow. So I'll be back next week for my 60-day uh, chip. Well, that was last week. And I didn't go because I don't care about the chip. It really, it does, I, I don't think. And I don't, I don't know that I want to be in a room full of people that now I feel like I can't trust. I already had trust issues here to begin with. And that was, that was a telling day. And maybe it was a bad day for a couple of people. And maybe they were already something was kind of irking them the wrong way. And maybe because that, particular meeting is generally a beginner's meeting because it is uh, probably at least a third of the room, if not half the room, are current patients in the treatment center. So it is very much a beginner's thing. And maybe some of them thought, who's this asshole coming in here and telling people who are trying to get better that what we're preaching doesn't work and that you can just do it however you want? What, 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 what kind of fool dipshit is this? That's kind of the way I, I read it, and that's fine. Y'all do your thing. Good chance I'm not going anymore. I might not ever go to an AA meeting again. I'm not I'm not sure. Um, when I went to the Lookouts game, it was uh, my facility. Again, I'm not I don't mention the names of anybody. I don't mention the name of the facilities. I don't I, I do keep the anonymous part anonymous. I can tell my I feel like I'm allowed to tell my story. My, my story is not anonymous. My story is very much the opposite of that. This is what I do. Um, so if they don't like that, I don't know what to tell them. But when we were at the Lookouts game, it was the alumni night, and a bunch of people I was in treatment with were all there, and we had a great time, all sober. Took a big group picture. It was a lot of fun. And the main guy who heads this all up, who I got to know pretty good, he came up and he said, hey, man, I hear people talking about your podcast. What, what is this podcast all about? It's because it was mentioned a few times while we were there, and it was he was just I don't know if he was eavesdropping, but he overheard it, and I, and I said, yeah, it's just something I've always done, and I still do it. He's like, oh, I might I might have to check that out. And I was like, uh, you might not want to. <laughs> you actually might not want to, uh, but feel free uh, because this would be the a type that might think, okay, what this guy's doing we don't approve of, and then maybe I wouldn't be allowed at any of these things anymore. I just don't know. And if that's the case, fine. No hard feelings. It's not a big deal. It really isn't. I'm going to live my life. You're going to live yours. But um, it's, I'm trying to convince you that I wasn't mad about it. But in a, in a small way, I, I, I kind of was. And maybe mad's the wrong word, but irritated nonetheless. And uh, I am a, a little late on things today. So I'm going to read this story to you. This is the official story, maybe I shouldn't tell, that I wrote on according to the wording here, as I retyped it out earlier, March 12th. So nearly two months ago, this story is called Refuge Recovery. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented, non-theistic recovery program that does not ask anyone to believe anything, only to trust the process and to do the hard work of recovery. In fact, no previous experience or knowledge of Buddhism is required. When sincerely practiced, the program will ensure a full recovery from addiction and a lifelong sense of well-being and happiness. That's a quote. And I put it parenthetically, that's a bold statement. All right. Continue on. That is from the introduction of a book someone in here let me borrow called Refuge Recovery. 
It's 14 chapters and 273 pages long, which means I will never read it. The Lend was in response to me constantly questioning AA and NA in group-appropriate meetings. And when I say group-appropriate meetings, I mean meetings where the specific topic is AA and NA or the book study, which is quite common. It is my opinion that the consistent message of AA and NA meetings is that if you do not follow their 12 traditions and 12 steps, then you will fail in your addiction recovery. Please understand that I am fully aware that this is entirely possible that I am using some sort of confirmation bias that these programs are not for me. I added this today to this writing. That understanding I am getting more as experience goes by. I will do additional commentary on the meetings themselves at the end of this writing as it is 9.30 p.m. on Sunday, March 12th my second to last night in this treatment center, and likely the last stories maybe I shouldn't tell written in real time. I believe firmly that addiction recovery is a complicated process in which no one-size-fits-all approach is ideal. Nobody here has just one addiction technically, but it does appear most are focusing on their worst vice, or as it is abbreviated, DOC, drug of choice, in rehab lexicon. Yet all therapy and processing seems to be the same for everyone. There is a level of elementary plus education style here where everybody seems to question the validity of every exercise, therapy, assignment, and project. And yes, there are projects and assignments that in theory everybody has to do. Literally think homework, except in this setting, you never go home. So there is a natural quote, when will I ever use this or how will I apply this to real life attitude? The same as we all used to ask about algebra or whatever school subjects that we used to hate. It's the same concept. Just like those studies were to force your brain to critically think in ways it naturally wouldn't, these exercises are to retrain a semblance of a mostly developed yet damaged brain. But in reference to the program AA and NA specifically, and what feels like the cornering of the recovery market, it's pretty clear that that isn't actually true. As this book proves, as well as many other programs I've heard of, SMART Recovery being one of them, that's an acronym, there are lots of other options, including many that are completely secular, as I've heard SMART is one. Parenthetically, there are others, but a reminder that I have zero reference material in here. So as I write this, all I have is my damaged brain to rely on. In response to my most recent questioning of AANA process, the dude said, paraphrased, it's really more of a lifestyle. If you want to live clean, you have to be around clean people. That's a fair enough statement, I guess, but it doesn't help my belief that there is a cult-like quality to all this. Leave your past behind you and join us is how I interpret it, that line of thinking. Sounds like a cult to me. And I will say the same two things here that I preface at every meeting or book discussion. I don't run with a bad crowd or, quote, need new friends. And I'm completely aware that maybe I'm misunderstanding this entire process. As I added a spoiler addendum here, I'm not. Last little bit here and we'll wrap things up. I skip forward in Refuge Recovery to the final chapter called Breaking the Addiction and quickly skimmed for a paragraph to close with, and I found this. We are addicted to pleasure in part because we confuse pleasure with happiness. We would all say deep down all we want to be is happy yet we don't have a realistic understanding of what happiness really is. Happiness is closer to the experience of acceptance and contentment than it is to pleasure. True happiness exists as the spacious and compassionate heart's willingness to feel whatever is present. Final paragraph for me. And that might as well be a paragraph on any of the 273 pages of this book that I will never read. The well-intentioned dude 
who lent me this book is over with the other 20-somethings watching some kind of Star Wars show as they seemingly do every single night. I think I'll kindly thank him and return it right now. So there definitely are other options for um, therapy, if you will, post-treatment organizations to gather if 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 one needs this. And um, I'm done even doing the research to try to figure out which ones they are because I literally don't think that I need them. But if you were to talk to the people from the other week, I'm dumb and uh, I don't know any better. I could have told them I was six days sober and um, and struggling and, and still questioning everything and they would have praised me like I was some kind of messiah. Come in there at 60 days sober and tell them that, yeah, well, thanks, but no thanks. I'm doing pretty good on my own. And, well, I don't know bleep because 60 days is nothing. That's pretty much the point that was made that day. So... A-A-N-A, if that's what you need, if that's what anybody needs, good for you, good for them, good for everybody. It's not what I need, and um, that is all for today's story that actually I very much maybe shouldn't have told. Next week, I'll wrap up anything I have left in my notebook from uh, Notes to Self over the course of that time frame and then uh, kind of be done with this series. I've enjoyed it. I do enjoy talking about it, but I also know I'm kind of beating a dead horse into the ground here. And I know a lot of this is kind of rep, uh, rep, uh, repetitious, and I apologize for that. But I thank you so much for finding the show. We'll do it again next week. What is coming up? I haven't a clue, but I will figure it out between now and then. Running to the Chihuahuas, if that's your thing, will be this weekend at the, um, at the Pavilion. It's Cinco de Mayo. It's Derby weekend. So it is a, uh, it's going to be a fun first weekend of May. While it's not my favorite month anymore, it is still my favorite time of year. The great Gordon Lightfoot takes us out today. Talk to you next week. See you later. Bye. Every highway me slip away, slip away on you. Let me slip away on you Every highway Let 